Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Do you remember Spider-Bots? Spider-Bots? No, what's that? Spider-Bots are actually what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, those that That's an another name for a web crawler. Oh, really? Yeah, but I seem to remember it. I, I don't know if this is actually true. I'm not sure what the etymology of Spider-Bot is, but I feel like it was used more in the earlier days, and now people talk about web crawlers generally. Yeah, today I learned. You are listening to Linear Digressions. I much prefer the term web crawler because spiders are scary. I don't know. Web crawler still has that kind of creepy, creepy crawly connotation. It's got the crawly. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we're yes. talking about web crawlers today. We are. Well, we're, we kind of are. So we're talking about a, a post on this website that I like to follow every once in a while called the Google, the unofficial Google data science blog. And uh, this particular entry is it's yeah it's talking about the problem of how often or with what rules uh, Google should recrawl the web to keep their search index up to date. But what we're we'll really be talking about is like different ways that you can formulate this optimization problem. And the thing that I think is cool is it's not just about what's the best way to solve this interesting problem, but there's a lot of engineering and maintainability and extensibility considerations for the different solutions that they came up with here, which I think is really cool. That's excellent. So I guess just for some background, what is a web crawler? Right. So it's a piece of code. We're talking about it within the context of Google. So what they're doing is the web is constantly being updated. All of these pages on all of these different hosts are getting updates all the time. And so I'll use LinearDigressions.com as an example to kind of explain the problem here. So on Sundays, when I post new episodes to this podcast, there's uh, this period between when LinearDigressions.com actually updates and when that new episode shows up in the Google search results. So I actually tested this on our last episode. I oh, did posted, you really? Oh, yeah. So I posted... Uh, the latest episode, and then I Googled for a thing that would be an exact hit of that episode. So it was like linear digressions, Poisson distribution or something. And, you know, checked it five minutes after we had posted, wasn't there. Checked it maybe 10 minutes after I'd posted, wasn't there. But by like an hour or two later, it was showing up in the search results. So wow. something, something came along and was like, oh, hey, something new is here let's update that's uh, really fast let's update you know index. i also wonder this is off topic a bit but i wonder if sites like squarespace which is what we use for for our website if sites like squarespace have um a notification like a notification type of thing where they can hit some api on google to say hey this page just updated but yeah Not that i'm like, aware of but <clears throat> sure I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but um, let's just pretend things like those don't exist. Um, like you could build a really simple web crawler in not very much time. Uh, all you need is to write some code that loads up a web page, goes through the web page and looks for all of the links, and then it goes and visits all of those links. And then it does the same thing recursively. For all of those links, it goes through, finds all the additional links, and then it visits those links. That would be a really, really stupid, slow <laughs> web crawler. Um, 
it would not be optimized in any way. Uh, it would just kind of spread out to like every page on the internet, theoretically, if given enough time. But um, because of how unoptimized it, it, it is, uh, and because if you just build this on your on your laptop, it's not particularly multi-threaded or anything. And so it's just doing this uh, maybe one by one. Uh, obviously, Google has a lot more architecture because that's kind of the name of the game with search is you need to know what is the corpus that you're searching through. And in this case, the corpus is the entire Internet. Correct. Yeah. And so if you're thinking about this, what's something that's slightly more optimized that we could work on? Well, overall, what Google wants is to minimize the amount of time that they're stale websites. And so the definition here is of stale is that the, um, the page has been updated, but the crawler hasn't come back to it yet. So the search updates are uh, not, or the search results are not fully up to date. I imagine though, there's the other side of it, which is that they also want to minimize the amount of resources that they, that they uh, use to crawl the web. Uh, whether it's because they they just literally run out of servers, um, like world supply could not um, provide them with the number of servers that they would want, um, or just simply that you don't want to constantly be hitting every website over and over again. Like the legal page on a website is not going to change very often, so you're probably not going to need to hit that as often as say, uh, you know, the web page for a podcast that's updated daily or something. Well, yeah, so you actually kind of nailed the the interesting constraints of uh, of this problem. So, so the exact question that this blog post is unpacking is, what is the optimal recrawl policy for all of these web pages, considering that, you know, some pages are going to be updating more frequently than others, some web pages are visited more often than others, or it's more important that you have them fresh than others, maybe like, Wikipedia might be an example of something that you would want to visit a little bit more often. And but my my like web development company's website probably nobody wants to visit that given that I don't do freelance web development work anymore. <laughs> the website's still up though. Yeah. Uh sure, yeah. Um but I think your the constraints that you pointed out are actually the exact two constraints that you need to keep in mind. So mm. we want to optimize or we want to uh, maximize the freshness so freshness just being kind of the inverse of staleness um maximize the freshness over all of the pages on all of the hosts subject to a couple of constraints number one is that there's kind of a theoretical maximum of how many times or how quickly you can hit a given host and that's something that may not be known to you as the crawler. You just know that you stop getting back results. So you have to kind of figure out what that number is and respect it. And then number two is that you have limited resources across all of the pages that you would have to crawl. And those resources might be very large, but they're finite. And so the total amount of resources that you're dedicating to crawl has to be under some, we'll say it's like, the number of hits that you can do in a given period of time or the number of scrapes that you can do has to be lower than some number where that number is like the total resource allocation. Mm, right. Those are the two constraints. And then there's a, if you want to set this up as an optimization problem, there is an objective function that you're trying to optimize. And part of the reason that we covered Poisson distributions last week 
if you were listening last week, is because this is an example of updates to a web page could be modeled as a Poisson process that's got some kind of characteristic uh, right. rate for each page. And then uh, updates arrive when they arrive, so they can be bursty or they can be more spread out in time. You don't exactly know, but they're going to arrive at some at some rate that's like mostly uh, steady-ish over long enough periods of time, but of course can can change. And so you want something that's going to be sensitive to that. So the chance at any given point that a web page is stale is going to be a function of how long it's been since you last crawled it. And that prediction from the Poisson distribution of whether something has arrived in in the meantime. So if typically, you know, there's a pretty short time between edits and you haven't recrawled this web page in five hours, then there's going to be a high probability that it's stale. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if it's something that you think doesn't update that often, you know, maybe it's like lineardigressions.com, it gets an update maybe once a week, and the last time you checked it was three minutes ago, chances are pretty low that there's going to be anything new to report there. So over all of the web pages on all of the hosts, the probability that you have, um, or the, the amount of sort of staleness across the entire uh, body of stuff that it's scraped is going to be like the, the overall, you know, freshness or staleness of your, of your data set at any given point of time. And so you want to minimize that subject to those two constraints. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, how, uh, do you want to go into how they actually did it? Yeah. So the thing that I really liked about this blog post was they did it two different ways. So we'll go through one of them today. And then in the next one, next week's episode, we'll kind of tell the other half of the story. And of course, we'll have a link to the blog post on lineardigressions.com as we always do. Um, Like I said, it's the unofficial Google data science blog. And then the title of it is crawling the internet data science within a large engineering system. So even from the topic, you can tell that, well, crawling the internet is what this is about. But well, the large engineering organization we can talk about in a second. But yes, I owe you an explanation of how What's one way that you could solve this? Right. So, and and just to ask a clarifying question, these two different ways that they solved this is one like the first uh, attempt, and then the second one is a follow up, or are these two parallel path solutions that they went down? The way that they tell the story, yeah, it's the it's kind of the first. The first one is the more. Uh, naive, just put your head down and plow through it approach, mm, right, and then the okay. problems that that encounters. Probably a less naive solution than my naive uh, explanation earlier. <laughs> um, well, so it's, and there's a little bit of hand-waving that I'm going to do here, so I'm going to apologize now, but so the the constrained optimization problem that I just described to you, so we want to maximize the average freshness over all of our web pages, subject to a couple of constraints. Mm-hmm. So those functions that we are using in in that optimization function, they're what's called convex functions. Okay, so I always I always get these confused, uh, convex and concave, uh, whether we're talking about lenses or uh, glasses or shapes or whatever. But in in this case, is this kind of like like one of them would have a tendency to kind of settle towards the middle? You would get kind of a negative feedback loop situation where 
if you go off too far to the right, it'll kind of want to go back to the left and vice versa. Um, and then the other one tends to want to run away on either side. So uh, which one is this one? Uh, this is one that's not going to run away that quickly. So right. we usually okay. say, that, yeah, convex optimization is, you know, a little more tractable. Yeah, in the sense that it doesn't blow up quite as easily as some of the other ones do. Okay. And concave so, is the one that blows up. Well, I, not usually just people call it non-convex, but... Oh, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm not an expert here, though, by any stretch. But the point Probably, is that I'll, I'll bet someone who works at Lens Crafters has a, a better idea than than us. Um. Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um. But Pro- yes. Probably so anyway, not. so just... <laughs> we've but we've uh, we formulated this question as what's the specifically the way that I've just described the way that they set up this. Um, convex optimization problem, the thing that yeah. you will solve for is the recrawl rate for each web page. And you can... Oh, right. Because yeah. each web page is going to be different. So like uh, Apple's product page is going to have a different recrawl rate than their legal page. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, kind of hand-waving our way past, you, you just... Basically, you can put in the objective function and then the constraints into a fairly simple like black box solver and it'll just tell you what the optimal recrawl rate is for all of the different uh web pages that are contributing to to the overall like problem here and i imagine a lot of the inputs into that are uh how like when have these pages been updated in the past yes yeah, so you do want to have some yeah you're you know slowly starting to learn some of those parameters of the poisson distribution but think about this for just a second. So this is like this. There are a few things that are not great about this solution. The first one is that the way that you solve it is with a a black box solver. So there's you know some kind of optimization algorithm that takes all of these things and it comes up with an optimal recrawl rate for each web page. But if you are say a Google search engineer having a data scientist come in and be like, hey, we implemented this optimization thing. It's kind of hard to understand how it works, but it's going to give you the right answer. That's probably making just your hair stand on end. There's all kinds of things that can potentially break. And at the scale at which Google operates, they will break. And that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is along with ads, Google's bread and butter, right? Yeah, yeah. So if there's going to be any kind of problem with, you know, the recrawl logic, and you're the Google search engineer, you're going to be very skeptical of that. Um, or even if you don't foresee a problem, but you can't debug it when there is a problem, you should just plan that there's going to be a problem. And it's like, okay, so what happens now? And saying something like, well, we don't know why our black box solver gave us this answer. It's not super helpful. So the problem here is that uh, they don't know how it works. The the engineers, yeah, there's it's right. it's not very transparent. So debugging is rough. Okay. Yeah. There's another problem. There's a different problem, which is what you've solved for here is the amount of time between crawls of the pages. And the thing that's tough about that is that you have some kind of functional form that tells you here's how important it is to recrawl a page depending on basically what the last time was that you crawled it. 
but the computers themselves that are doing this optimization don't necessarily know when the last time was that you crawled the page. So the computers that own the optimization, in order to know how important it is to recrawl a page, have to know when it was last crawled, which means they have to constantly be asking the crawling computers if they have crawled that page recently, because they have to be constantly updating their little ticker of how long it's been since that page was updated. So there's two pieces of information, and one of them you have to go get from a completely different system. Namely, have you recrawled this page? You know, asking that repeatedly. So that adds a lot of overhead to the calculation in general. It means you're dependent on an external system. And in general, that's going to make the computation a lot harder. Interesting. So it's not, it's not the problem of we have this page, this is the recrawl rate, this is when we last crawled it, should we crawl it or should we not crawl it? It is here, all of these pages, these, these are the ones that need to be recrawled, and how should we prioritize our resources given this whole distribution of, uh, or, or this whole um, list of pages that each have their own various different stalenesses. Yeah, yeah. And that stack ranking happens with, of course, the information from these other systems, which itself can be pretty complicated because there can be resources that are getting dropped or that are coming online. In general, it's it might not be very predictable uh, when some of these pages are going to get scraped. Anyway, the point is you can't just set up each one of your pages on kind of its own little timer and you recrawl it every X number of seconds it's more comp- it's a more complicated dynamic system. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you don't just, just knowing the recrawl rate is not enough information to know how you should allocate those resources. You need to know the recrawl rate relative to the last time that it was visited. And so that means bringing together your solution with this whole additional source of information. And that's a place where there can be, you know, potentially a lot of things that break. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I, I I started so I started working at Facebook two and a half three years ago. Um, before I worked at Facebook, I had never really worked on large, really really large systems. Now I have, and it's interesting because I'm close enough to when I started at Facebook that I remember my mindset before I started at Facebook, and like this this problem doesn't seem all that complicated. Um, but taking taking a problem like this that seems on its face fairly simple um, and then thinking about all of the different failure cases and uh, the ways that you handle these various failures, uh, dealing with resource allocation, dealing with uh, I have this answer over here and I have this data over in this other place. How do I bring those things together and how do I do it effectively and efficiently? without using too many resources, um, without incurring too much operational risk of servers getting overloaded and falling down or, or uh, failing. It's just, it gets, even the relatively simple sounding problems get quite complicated uh, pretty quickly when you do what's called trying, trying to productionize these uh, solutions. And that's exactly the thing that I think is really cool about this blog post is because it's sort of pointing out, you know, as there's a lot of data scientists who are used to working on some of those smaller scales. And so the solutions that you might come up with that are optimized for those smaller scales they often operate at, then when you walk over to the engineers and you say something like, hey, can we build something like this? 
And they're like, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. But as a data scientist, that might just be like, you're just not work used to working it um, at that scale or at systems that have to have like very, very high availability and, you know, all these kinds of things that, that uh, you, ha- you really have to think about very, very carefully at this scale. And so that, I think that that was one of the things that was neat for me reading this blog post was just, you know, what happens when these two worlds collide. So we've talked a lot about this and I think we should maybe wrap it here, but um, in the next episode, we'll talk about a second way that you could formulate this optimization problem um, and how that's a nicer solution to this problem. So we will catch you next week. To be continued. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.